0: Hey, it's Shannon Ballard. Your Southern Mysteries is an independent podcast. It's made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. So if you'd like to help, you can join Southern Mysteries on Patreon, and you get a little something in return. You can hear more than 60 episodes in the Southern Mysteries archive, and you also have an option to support the show and hear exclusive monthly episodes that are new this year called The Lesser Knowns stories of lesser known figures related to major historical events. Join me on Patreon today and catch up on all the episodes you haven't heard at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. (music) Choctaw County in Southwestern Alabama is named for the Choctaw Nation settlements in the area prior to the removal of indigenous tribes from the southeastern United States during the Trail of Tears. From the time Choctaw County was formed in 1847 until the late 1870s, the settlers were relatively law-abiding. It was part of the Alabama frontier, but sheriffs and U.S. Marshals worked together to keep the peace. For reasons we'll never know, a man who had been peaceful and law-abiding began to stir up trouble with local churches. He began to speak out against man-made laws. By the late 1880s, he declared himself a prophet with more than 100 followers in his cult and set off a chain of events that led to a bloody chapter in Alabama history. Welcome to Southern Mysteries. Exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the story of Alabama's Bloody Bob Sims and the Sims War. Robert Bruce Sims was born in the Womack Hill community of Choctaw County, Alabama in 1839. The early years of his life were spent farming before he served in the 22nd Alabama Infantry. During the Civil War, Bob Sims was injured and captured in Georgia on May 16, 1864. He was transferred and held as a prisoner of war at Union Camp Morton in Indiana until the Confederate surrender at Appomattox. Family lore says Bob Sims carried evidence of his war injury for the rest of his life. A broken off bit of a bayonet point was never removed from his head. Some descendants believe this affected his mental and emotional stability, but left him with an unusual charisma, which made him a strong leader. When the war ended and Bob returned home to Choctaw County, he set about living a quiet life, returned to farming, and worked as a county surveyor for a while. He married Elizabeth Campbell, who would give birth to their eight children. Only five survived childhood. Bob Sims was known to have a rather fascinating and brilliant mind. He had a photographic memory, read the entire Bible, and was able to quote long passages from memory. And he loved learning and studying Roman, Greek, and French history. Bob was a law-abiding citizen of Choctaw County for about a decade after the Civil War. But in 1876, Bob Sims showed up at his brother-in-law's house demanding he hand over the deed to his property that Bob believed was rightfully his. When his brother-in-law refused, Bob threatened to hurt him and his children if they remained on the land. The argument made no sense to the family and landed Bob Sims in circuit court, where he was convicted of publicly engaging in the use of insults and fined $20. The following year, Bob Sims' opposition to the Methodist Church doctrine was revealed when he interrupted the Womack Hill Methodist Church service on a Sunday morning, yelling about the gospel being abused. When he was asked to leave, he walked outside, where he continued to shout what was described as vulgar abuses of the pastor and congregation. His shouting was so loud and constant, the pastor ended the service and told everyone, to just go home, where they could find some peace. Bob Sims was arrested for disturbing the peace of a worship service and again appeared in circuit court, where he was convicted and fined $75. Bob quieted down for a time and was peaceful until the late 1880s. The more Bob Sims studied the Bible and history, the more he seemed to question the teachings of all churches. He became so frustrated, he decided to become a preacher. And it was clear to anyone who heard Bob Sims preach, he wasn't sticking to traditional Sunday school lessons. Bob Sims created his own church, his own religion, that was based on the belief that the law of God was the only law. No man could establish a law that Bob Sims would follow. Sim said the state of Alabama had no right to assess him or any man for taxes. The state couldn't tell him how many wives he was allowed to have and certainly could not prevent any man from manufacturing spirits from the gifts of grain from his field and fruit from his orchard. His whiskey in particular was made on land he owned as a gift from God. God God-given rights of mankind superseded any law The government established. Sims built a house of worship, started a moonshine business, and ignored local and state laws. Many family members and neighbors were drawn to Bob Sims' beliefs, and his following grew thanks to a newsletter he launched in 1889 to share his beliefs and invite new followers to join him in Choctaw County. In May 1891, Bob Sims controversial ideas were presented to the public at large when portions of a four-page pamphlet called The Veil is Rent were published in Alabama newspapers. In it, Sims laid out his beliefs and referred to lawmakers as Satan's ministering angels. An Alabama newspaper printed a review of Bob Sims' pamphlet and concluded with the following statement, the whole thing is an appeal to the ignorant distiller to defy the law, so mixed up with a so-called religion as to mislead him into believing he will thereby do God's service. But Bob Sims church appealed to many people. Eventually, his church grew to about 100 followers. An Alabama cult was born, known as the Simsites. A majority of the Simsites were angry with other Choctaw County pastors who encouraged the community to follow the law of the land and follow God's law. They were drawn to Bob Sims' rebellion against the laws of man. When these neighbors became followers of Bob Sims and openly supported and joined in his moonshine business while refusing to pay liquor tax, tension and resentment started to build. In Womack Hill. The local sheriff felt outnumbered by Simsites. He was unable to break up the moonshine business because Bob Sims continually warned his neighbors that if they didn't like what he was up to, he didn't believe in the law, which meant he and his followers were more than willing to destroy the homes and land of anyone who stood up to him because no law could ever make Bob Sims pay. Tension continued to grow in the region as Bob Sims made enemies of people he once called neighbor and friend. A vocal opponent of Sims' moonshine business and his strange church was a pastor named Richard Bryant Carroll. The Baptist preacher consistently spoke out against Bob Sims' church and his followers. When a Simsite expressed interest in Carroll's daughter in May 1891, the preacher said his daughter would never court the man. When that SimSite showed up at the Carroll home, he was refused entry and forced to leave. The next morning, Richard Carroll was found dead on his porch, having been shot several times. No one was ever arrested for his murder, but locals believed Bob Sims ordered the assassination. Bob Sims' control of the SimSites grew stronger as local authorities refused to step in and make any attempt to take Bob into custody for suspicion of murder and openly operating his moonshine still. The local opposition of the Sim sites decided to take matters into their own hands when they reported Bob Sim's illegal liquor production to federal authorities. They knew if the feds came for Bob, they could be rid of him and his followers for good. Federal Marshals arrived in Choctaw County to arrest Bob Sims in the summer of 1891. They were not prepared for the SimSites' willingness to die for their leader. When the Marshals tried to arrest Bob Sims, they had to retreat because they were outnumbered by armed SimSites. They tried and failed to arrest Bob Sims four times. They patiently waited and watched until SimSites were away from Bob Sim's home and they were finally able to take him into custody. While awaiting a steamboat to transfer Sim's to Mobile, the marshals held him in the Bladen Springs Hotel. Someone shared that information with the SimSites, who rushed to the hotel to rescue their leader. They waited until Sim's was in an outbuilding under the watch of only one guard, Bob Sim's son, Bailey, his brothers, Neil and Jim, and three other Simsites moved in to rescue Bob. A federal marshal was wounded in the shootout, and Bob's son was killed, along with an innocent bystander who had been waiting for the outhouse. Bob's brother, Jim, was injured and taken into custody by the marshals as Bob and his brother, Neil, fled Bladen Springs. The federal marshals were left with utter chaos as fear spread that Bob Sims would return to Bladen Springs with reinforcements to avenge the death of his son and rescue his brother Jim. Lookouts were posted around town to watch for any sign of Bob Sims. It was nighttime, and one of the lookouts was anxious and afraid. He saw a man on a mule approaching him and he yelled for the man to stop but the man ignored his call and was shot and killed when the lookout approached this person he had shot he realized he made a tragic mistake he killed an innocent man who was deaf and never heard him call out to stop two innocent men had died as a result of marshals bringing bob sims to bladen springs the locals were angry with the feds and the sim sites so angry that early the next morning, they found where the marshals were hiding Bob Sims' brother Jim, and they lynched him. Hours later, marshals agreed to allow a few of Bob Sims' children to enter Bladen Springs and retrieve the bodies of Jim and Bailey for burial in the Sims family cemetery. As soon as the bodies were retrieved, the marshals left the area, saying they were outnumbered and they needed more men to defend themselves if the simsites returned and the locals in Bladen Springs turned against them. The marshals' decision to leave Bladen Springs to get more men and supplies left the men in town feeling abandoned. They decided to once again take the law into their own hands when they organized a posse to hunt down Bob and Neil Sims. They rode to Bob Sims' home, where they found a large number of simsites but no sign of Bob or his brother. The posse informed the Simsites they needed to leave Choctaw County or they would begin lynching them, just as they had Jim Sims. Bob Sims' wife, Elizabeth, and her children, along with a group of Simsites, left Choctaw County and traveled to Shabuda, Mississippi, where they found shelter and protection with sympathizers. Manhunts for Bob and Neil Sims were organized as authorities followed up on every reported sighting of the fugitives who remained at large through the fall of 1891. Bob Sims' wife and his daughters were so desperate to return home to Alabama that two of his daughters traveled to the state capital of Montgomery. They met with a governor who granted an order of protection to allow the Sims family to return home to Choctaw County. While Bob and Neil Sims remained on the run, their family faced the fallout from the men's blatant rebellion of the law. A successful lawsuit was filed against Bob Sims and his property was set to be auctioned. When Bob Sims heard he was about to lose his land because of laws he did not recognize, he returned to Choctaw County to exact revenge on one of the men he believed had reported him to federal authorities. John McMillan. McMillan owned a store in the Paragon community, and he was one of at least 10 locals who had reported Bob to the feds. McMillan had openly spoken out against Bob Sims and the Sim sites and gathered public support to turn on the cult. Bob Sims returned home on December 22, 1891, and with the help of followers, he hijacked a freight wagon that was en route to deliver goods to McMillan's store, they stole everything from the wagon and told the driver to ride on to John McMillan and deliver the message that Bob Sims was back and he was coming to burn down his house and kill him. McMillan took the threat seriously and gathered a group of men to keep watch through the night for any sign of Bob Sims and his followers. But all was quiet. With no sign of the Simsites, the men stood down. McMillan and the men were convinced Sims had threatened him to scare him, but had once again fled the region to evade the feds. That assumption was deadly. Bob Sims and a small group of followers surrounded John McMillan's house late on the night of December 23, 1891. All was quiet inside, and it was clear. Everyone was in bed. Knowing this, Bob Sims and his followers set fire to the house. There were 17 people, including 10 children, sleeping in the McMillan home that night. As the fire began to spread, they woke up and immediately ran for the door and what they believed to be the safety of the outdoors. But as they exited, they were met by a hail of gunfire. In their confusion and fear, some ran back into the house and quickly realized their only hope of survival was to try to make it out the door again. As they raced down the steps, shots rang out. John McMillan was shot and killed. One of his children, who tried to escape, was killed when they were captured by a Simsite and thrown back into the house as the flames consumed the structure. Two other children died that night, and nine people were wounded, including schoolteacher Belle McKenzie, who was renting a room at the McMillan's. She succumbed to her injuries weeks later. News spread quickly of the attack at the McMillan's place, and by early morning, Christmas Eve 1891, a posse of about 200 men rode to Bob Sims' home intent on taking him into custody. Sims addressed the men, saying he would never surrender. From Christmas Eve until late Christmas Day, the posse held their position around the Sims' land, intent on preventing Bob Sims or any of the Simsites from escaping. Sims claimed he had seven armed men in the cabin with him, along with his wife and children. Sheriff Gavins and the posse were certain the Simsites were willing to follow Bob Sims to the death. Sheriff Gavin had enough of Bob Sims and sent word to him that he had sent for a cannon from Bladen Springs and was determined to capture Sims that day and he'd use the cannon to blow up his house and drive him out. Bob Sims had no problem burning down the McMillan house with women and children inside. But when it came to his wife and children, He refused to let them die. He negotiated with the sheriff, telling him he'd surrender if the sheriff guaranteed him protection from the posse and ensured he and his men would not be attacked and the women and children would be protected. The sheriff promised protection for Bob Sims' wife and children, but said with so many men intent on seeing Bob Sims dead for what he did at the McMillans, He would never make such a promise to Bob Sims. The guarantee of protection for his wife and daughters had to be enough for Bob Sims. By late Christmas Day, the standoff ended and the sheriff took Bob into custody. He was surprised to see just two armed men and a boy had been inside the home with Sims. They were all arrested as Bob Sims' wife and three daughters were led to a wagon. And surrounded by a large group of armed men to guarantee their safety. Bob Sims looked at the sheriff and told him it would be a miracle if he made it to the jail in Butler, the Choctaw County seat. Sheriff Gavin said they had to try and allowed Bob Sims to randomly select 50 men from the posse to serve as his armed guards. Sheriff Gavin demanded the prisoners and guards remain as silent as possible during transport. Gavin worried that if the men talked, someone would say something that could lead to the guards turning on the prisoners. As the sheriff rode out with his prisoners and guards, the remaining men from the posse that had surrounded the Sims' home organized a lynch mob. While en route to Butler, the sheriff and his men had to pass through rough and hilly sections of road with dense underbrush that provided the lynch mob adequate cover. Late that day, the mob estimated to be around 200 men overtook Sheriff Gavin and his guards. As Bob Sims predicted, he never made it to Butler. His last act on Earth was defiance. He refused to be blindfolded and held out his hand. He challenged the man holding the rope that was about to be placed around his neck to feel his pulse, telling him he wasn’t frightened, because they were about. To send him to heaven. Within minutes, Sims and his three followers were hanged from a nearby tree. A reporter summed up the news, writing, Thus ends the defiance of the United States, the state of Alabama, and in fact all laws by the notorious, bloody Bob Sims and his followers. But the Sims War didn't end with the death of Bob Sims. Sims sites remained in the region. And in April 1892, the Vernon Courier told of Choctaw County pastors being named on a SimSite hit list. Chaos continued in Choctaw and surrounding counties for years after Sim's death. As a new group of followers, inspired by Bob Sim's belief that you don't answer to man-made laws, terrorized the region. The offshoot of Sim's cult, which included former SimSites, was known as the Meachamites, Because their leader, James Bledsoe, lived in the Meacham Beat of Clark County. They called themselves the Hell at the Breach Gang, as they battled law abiding citizens who were armed and ready to protect themselves from the gang that robbed and murdered dozens of innocent people in the region. One local paper wrote that the Meachamites referred to themselves as Hell at the Breach because when one of them was at the breach of a gun, His Satanic Majesty was presented there. For years after Bob Sims died, Southern newspapers told new chapters in what was known as one of the most bloody feuds in the South. Story after story told of Michimites being arrested, breaking out of jail, or being freed by authorities who feared them. Some Michemites were assassinated by normally law-abiding citizens who were tired of the law letting the Michemites get away with murder and said they were so desperate for peace, they felt they had to take the law into their own hands. Eventually, the remaining Michemites got the message that staying in Alabama would be deadly, and they relocated to Mississippi. By the time the Sims War ended and the Michemites were driven out of Alabama, more than 50 people had been murdered, and the war had driven countless families from Clark and Choctaw counties in an effort to find peace. As to Bob Sims' wife, Elizabeth, and his daughters, Sheriff Gavin kept his word to protect them. They were able to escape Alabama and return to sympathetic friends in Mississippi. It was hard to live under the shadow of the Sims' name until Elizabeth found a home in Jones County. Sims' family records tell of Elizabeth and her children beginning a new chapter with friendships in the community of East Obuchee, Mississippi. Elizabeth Sims was known as a kind woman who had endured hardship and violence and led her family to a fresh start out of the shadow of bloody Bob Sims. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. As always, you can view photos and sources for this episode in the show notes at southernmysteries.com. Special thanks to all of my Southern Mysteries patrons who helped make this independent podcast possible, including some of my newest patrons, Janice from Glen Burnie, Maryland, Krista from St. Albans, West Virginia, and MC, Sandy, Laura, and Alicia, who are from mysterious locations. When you join Southern Mysteries on Patreon, you get access to exclusive content. As a thanks for your support, you hear the Southern Mysteries archive of more than 60 episodes. There's also an option to hear Patreon-exclusive episodes called The Lesser Knowns and the archive of exclusive Patreon Southern Mysteries shorts. It's easy to opt in and out, so give it a try. Join today at southernmysteries.com slash southernmysteries.